and the bad is what that says. Um, so on the next slide, I think. So the you know the next part is he's got these great friends, right? I mean, think about your best friends, and they come in and they're gonna they're gonna come and they're gonna comfort you. So they come and they sit down with them for seven days. They just kind of hang out with them. They don't say anything, and then and then they start to talk, and they think there has to be some reason why these bad things are happening to him. So they start going. So Job, why what did you do wrong? Where's your sin? And over and over, they kept on just, just going after Job and asking him what he said. There's got to be something that you did wrong to have all this happen to you. And he's like, man, I, I haven't done anything. I've been given to the poor. You know, I, I, I have, uh, I've, been, I've been holy. I have, he said, in fact, one of the verses is, you know, I made a covenant with my, with my eyes not to lust after a woman. I mean, he listed all these things I'm, that I'm doing. I can't figure out either why these bad things are happening to me, but it's not because of my sin. But the friends just go on and on. They're just making this statement that, wow, you must be, you know, something bad. In fact, Job calls him, I says in a second line, he says, you guys are miserable. You're like the worst comforters ever. You know, these are our best friends. And then, if you get to the, north, to the end of, get to the end of Job, you know, this whole process, Job is kind of questioning along the way too, you know, God, why is this happening? Um, you know, I'm not sure what I've done wrong. If there's anything I've done wrong, I don't know. And all of a sudden, God answers. And he has two chapters worth, which just measurement-wise, it's a lot, where God comes back and says, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I measured and put all this together? Were you there? Do you know how many, you know, pieces of sand are on the beach or whatever? And how, do you know, are, you know, it's just like, and it just lays out this whole, this whole argument of, you're just, you're just a human. You didn't put all this together. You don't know how all this works together. So much that at the end of this, Job's answer could only be, you're right. I, he said, I put something over my mouth because there's nothing that I can say. When it's all said and done, you're God and I'm not. And there's no way I can understand what it is or what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know. I'm not God. You are God. And I think that that's such a key. And we'll come back to that some. You know, to be able to say out loud, you're God, I'm not. I can't understand all these things. Um, but I'm going to have faith in you. I'm going to know that you have the best... Uh, concern for my life and that you love me. If we go to the next one. Okay, now I put all this up here because, and there's like two or three slides worth here, and it's because if you look up on online and say, what does the Bible say about suffering or what are some verses? I mean, they're everywhere. This, there's, it's assumed, it's assumed that we're going to suffer. It's, it always says like when you suffer or when these things are going to happen to you, when you go through trials and temptations, it's never, I'm just going to remove all this from you because you're a follower of mine. In fact, it says because you're a follower, you probably are going to have more stress and more temptation and more, um, more trials. I mean, the people that follow God, especially even the apostles, you think they would be the ones who would be lifted maybe even higher than anybody, but, you know, they ended up uh, most of them suffering 
uh, deaths or, you know, at the, uh, because of their faith. So anyway, and a, a couple of things making, for, or points that I'm making is, you know, we have to assume that suffering is going to happen. The affliction, in my mind, comes from Satan. Satan is trying to sift us. He's trying to remove that faith from us because he's saying to you, you only have faith because you have possessions or you only have faith because you have help. If I take that away from you, then you're going to lose your faith. And God's saying, no, I, my people are good. My people are, people are faithful. So anyway, uh, I don't know why. I don't know how anybody's going to be able to sort out why God gives Satan that power. Again, I think that's just beyond us. And we just have to accept that God is God. And we can't know the mind of God. That's just how I rationalize through all this. On the next slide. So here's I'm coming back to my original view that... change this a little bit just because I want to if we never allow our kids to suffer if we never coach them through it then they do they can have a, I think a very skewed view of God because if we say that absolute love is that we never allow them to suffer if we take away everything every pain every suffering that sort of thing then we're on we're saying to God we're saying about God that God really can't love me because he's allowing me to suffer. My parents wouldn't, but God does. So God, maybe he's not really a God of love. If we say that God is all-powerful, but for some reason, and, and because as authority as a parents, we come in and we, like we take those times and we, we use our power to remove the suffering of our kids, like at the school or whatever, the consequences, and here we go. Maybe they've messed up at school, and the principal is saying, hey, this, you know, your kid's kind of, you know, has been out of order here or something like that, and we try to remove the consequences of that. We're using our power that way. In a sense, we're also coming back and saying, well, if God didn't use his power that way, then maybe he's not all-powerful. Or he's not loving to use his power in that way. So I come back to this, and because I, I just think, Maybe it's just the way I think, but I think it's important is God allowed us to suffer and God allowed, for whatever reason, evil to be a part of this and Satan to have some sort of power in this world. And if we come back and say that, that or we don't allow our kids to suffer or fail in any way, then I think at some point we're saying that God isn't loving, he isn't powerful, and that he doesn't exist. And that's one of the number one reasons why millennials don't believe. Because they don't, they can't, they can't understand why there is suffering and evil in this world. So I think that we have to coach them through that, which is a lot of what this next slide is. I think as I try to transition to what John and Catherine are going to talk about a little bit. Um, so we read in Second Corinthians, and again, I'm sorry, it's, the red doesn't show up very good, but Paul is, is, has been talking about how he's been through, you know shipwrecks, he's been through, uh, you know, he's been whipped, he's, he's been without food, he's been through all kinds of different type of trials. And he said, praise be to God of all comfort, praise be to the God of, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all his troubles. And here's the phrase, because so that, referencing back to that first part of the sentence, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we receive 
we ourselves receive from God. So I'm using this, and I'm going to read more, but I'm using this to come back and say, what is some of the reason for our suffering? Because we receive comfort, and from that comfort, we comfort other people. I think that's what Paul is saying here. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. Next slide. And we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, again, that, so that, that we may not rely on ourselves, but on God. Again, this, in my mind, Paul's giving the reason for the sufferings that he went through. So that we wouldn't rely on ourselves but on God. Who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So on a small or on the level of which I think that we understand better, I would just submit in some ways some of the things that the, the, the trials and sufferings we go through. One is so that we can comfort others, and secondly, so that we rely on God and not on ourselves. So that's the part I can understand. The other things, I'm not sure at this point. I give it over. <coughs> So, you know, this class in part is meant to be uh, really encouraging. And so, you know, we just decided we would sit down in the theme of suffering <laughs> as a way to uh, encourage. Uh, next week, Darth Vader is teaching the class uh, to further kind of wallow in in just kind of the dark moment. No, I think we, we bring this up because as we have heard feedback from you all, um, and, and we're probably the same way as we tell you about Jake or our times, uh, Catherine and I often say the phrase, parenting is hard. It's hard. And um, it's so personal that you, you really want to get it right. And part of the reason that we mention this word is because whether it's the trials that your children are going through or the trials that you're going through as parents, we want you to be aware of the larger plan, the larger um, narrative that is at stake. So I'm going to share with you a visual metaphor that Catherine gave me that I just really love, uh, and that is the lions. Um, so you may be aware that lions have terrific night vision. In fact, um, they're six times more sensitive to, to light than human beings. Uh, their eyes are proportionally larger than other uh, animals their size. Uh, their pupils are round instead of like slits like domestic cats have. Um, that allows them to bring in more light at night. There's a reflective coating on the back of their eyes that gives them 90% greater vision at night. 
But the thing that I want to leave you with that I had never seen before until Catherine kind of pointed it out, they have this white under their eyes. Have you ever seen it? Have you ever noticed it? It's interesting because the athletes will put black under their eyes when they're in a game to dampen the stadium lights. They've got white under their eyes to increase their ability to see in darkness. So that visual metaphor I give you as a way of saying there's going to be dark times in parenting. And you've got to find ways to increase the light in your eyes. With Christ being the light of the world, during those dark times, as Monty is suggesting, you've got to to really not rely on yourself. You've got to rely on Scripture. Uh, we, we find that Christ is the Word and that He is in that Scripture. Uh, this from Second uh, Corinthians, Therefore we don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and monetary, momentary troubles are achieving for us an external glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is, seen is, what is unseen is eternal. I think especially in this community, uh, in the pop culture that we live in, you're going to be surrounded with all kinds of anecdotal advice and parenting. And you're going to try to find your navigational points. And we would just call you out that in this community, what we want to urge you to do is just fix your eyes on the eternal. And the way we you know, kind of think about it is, as Monty was saying, help your children to see through a different lens. Help them to see the providence of God. Help them to see the plan that He has and the calling that He has on their life. Help them to see that whether it's your own or their suffering, that that's part of God's plan. I think one of the greatest uh, strategies that we've used in relating to our boys is when we have been very vulnerable with our boys about our own sin, our own struggles, our own vulnerabilities. But using that in connection with the larger plan Stephen Covey says that we see the world as we are. And the point is to equip ourselves with God's Word, to immerse ourselves in God's Word so that when these struggles come, uh, we're not relying on our own naked eyes, that we have a different lens that we're looking through, and that is through our place in God's plan. Um, This photo, you can insert a picture, a mental picture of your children. But I think the thing I would just tell you when you're struggling is that God loves your children more than you do. Mm -hmm. He loves your children more than you do. And He has a plan for each of them. And He has a unique calling on their life. And that is one of the promises of Scripture is that there's a plan for each of them. Jake's plan is going to be different than the other boys. Hank's plan is going to be different than the other boys. But he has a unique plan for each of yours as a part of his overall kingdom plan.
of the ways to just to piggyback on that a little bit. Not a lot. I've I've said that scripture in here before. I hold on to that sometimes when I don't see the plan, or my kids don't see the plan for their lives. I hold I hold on to that promise, and when when struggles come, we have to find a scripture to hold on to like that. You know, um, I listened to a podcast this week, and this man talked about losing his five-year-old daughter in his arms when she had an asthma attack. They didn't even know she had asthma. It just came out of the blue. And, and he said, I had to hold on to the, the scripture that talked about heaven is our home. And this, this is just a tent. You know, like in the dark, those dark times, you have to hold on to those promises. So um, just another couple other things to do revolving around this suffering. Um, train for the trial you're in. And train for the trial you're not yet in. There's a difference. Um, sometimes when things are going well, we, we get complacent. Um, go on to the next slide. Um, I love Harry Potter. I've read all the books many times. I've read them to my children. I've had some of the best discussions with my children about spiritual matters after reading Harry Potter to them, you, that, that could be a whole other class and you all may disagree with me, but this is a character, um, Alastor Moody or Mad-Eye Moody. And <clears throat> he was an R in the book and one of his, mon- his mantra, I guess, one of the things that he's credited for saying over and over is constant vigilance. And I just feel like that is so important as parents. Training for the, even if you're in a good time, getting yourself ready for the bad times because we know they're coming. You can't be surprised by it. John 16, 33. Um, you can go ahead to that. I could, okay. Um, I may not have put that one up there. Um, you got to know that the difficulty is coming. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Um, we know difficult times is, are coming. And just to use a, a reference to athletics, when you are competing and training for an event, you are worried about your hydration, right? And um, you hydrate before because if you wait in an event like a marathon or something until you are thirsty, when you are thirsty to start drinking, it's too late. You're already dehydrated, right? We can't wait for the suffering and bad times to come to start training our spiritual minds and bodies to be ready for it. We have to be in the Word daily. We have to be anticipating trials. We have to be thinking about the fact that our daughter or son may be about to reach puberty and emotions may start doing this and there may be some difficulty in our relationship that hadn't been there when they were in elementary school. We have to anticipate these things. Know that it's coming. Um, Funny dehydration story. Our um, second son was a very gifted runner and he went to a school, Brentwood Academy, that has an incredible track and cross-country program. And one of his spring exams, it was right before the state track meet, and they were got to hydrate, got to hydrate. So he had his water bottle all through school and um, had been hydrating and had an exam. You're not allowed to leave the room during your exam. You have to go to the bathroom before, right? Because you know, I'm sure our kids would have come up with the scheme to go, I'm hydrating, i to go to the bathroom and go phone a friend in the bathroom about a question on the test. So um, he was hydrating and couldn't finish the test. Like he, he, he said, I thought about going up and just 
peeing in front of the teacher when she wouldn't let me leave to really demonstrate that I was not lying. And I said, that would have been legendary. They probably would have still been talking about it today. But um, And we have other legendary peeing stories. We do. We do. But um, we won't go there today. But he didn't get to finish the test. He had to go to the bathroom that bad. He had to turn his test and leave. And so he didn't get the grade he wanted on the test. But he did great in the race. <laughs> and they did win the state championship. So I just think that's a little metaphor that sometimes you may not do well on, on one test, but we, we're looking at the big picture. We want the championship, right? So hydrate. Keep yourself fed. Do it before you get thirsty. Um, go to the next slide, babe. Um, next, next one. Yeah, so know that difficulty is coming and then build a life that can stand the difficulty. You know, I, I'm sure you all probably saying that the wise man built his house upon the rock. You know, Matthew 7, our foundation is essential. That's a, that's a simple concept in a little kid's story about building on the rock or on the sand and which one lasts. But just keep those things in mind. Um, follow those spiritual disciplines even when you don't feel like it. Because when you get that call that your kid's been suspended or from the doctor or about a diagnosis, you're going to be able to stand on the foundation that you've set. Uh, one of the ways to train for those trials um, is um, with God's people. And to go back to our example of the lions, um, the next slide, um, lions live in a small group. It's called a pride. If you've seen The Lion King, you already know that. But it's a small group, and that's really important because especially, I mean, you are good people. You're in Sunday school this morning. Y'all are great people, and you're involved in church. But our church is large, and to be really known and to have a core group of people that will show up when your kid has run away and you don't know where they are to help you pray and help you look or to be at the hospital when you've had to check in, you've got to have a small group. And so the next slide just shows you a picture of our small group. We've been in community with each other for a long time. <coughs> and uh, we, our life group has had its fair share of a lot of difficulties with our children. And it's life. And we know these people will show up when we call. And then to, it's not just important for you to have that, but for your child to have that. And the next picture, um, this is Jake at his 16th birthday man party. I think we've talked about that. If you weren't here, we do a celebration when the boys turn 16 and we invite the men in their lives who are influential to come and have a steak dinner and they blessed our children uh, verbally. And this was at his, has granddads and uncles and covenant group leaders. We've had coaches. Um, Rubio and Dinox couldn't come this night. They took Jake out on another day separately to lunch. Um, these are the people that Jake called in, in trouble, and he knew these people were there for him. And he has a book. All our three older boys have books with the blessings in it, and they pull them out, and they read them in, in times of trouble. All right, so we've trained for the trial we have not yet been in. And then another thing we can do is live life on our tiptoes. So um, the next picture, I, I'm using a tennis metaphor because that's the sport I play right now. Here are two of the top three men's tennis players demonstrating the ready position. Every sport has a ready position. You don't want to be caught on your heels. 
okay? You're vulnerable that way. You can be knocked over. Going back to the lion, lions walk and run on their tiptoes. The best marathon runners, there's been all kinds of studies now, these people run on their forefoot or on their toes instead of that heel-to-toe strike. It's, it's harder to sustain for a long period of time, but it makes you faster. And um, I just want to say that we, um, we want to be in that ready position. Um, when we live on our tiptoes and that horrible things happen, the horrible thing happens, we can remember that trouble was coming. We remember that and we're ready. Um, we're not going to let Satan push us over because we're on our heels. Another thing to do in um, these trials is to step back and have the maturity to say, what's God doing here? God, God has allowed this. He hasn't left me. What is God doing? Can I, can I see a big picture? Charles Spurgeon is quoted as saying, God gives his most difficult assignments to his most trusted soldiers. In Philippians 1, 29, it tells us it's an honor to suffer for Christ. Um, the suffering will produce an anointing and fruit. And if we think back to the fruit of the Spirit, you know, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, but he also gets our feet ready, right? What's on our feet? Does anybody remember? The gospel of peace. Well, what, is that? what does that mean? Um, I have that scripture, I think, next. This is from the New Living Translation. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. The good news is the gospel. It's the word of God. It's God's plan for our lives, and we want to put that on our feet and be ready. Um, prepared to face the enemy with that, with that readiness and the stability. So, um, from, I want you to, to take that image of the lion with you. Remember the white under his eyes. We're going to take in the light. We're going to live in a pride. And we're going to walk on our tiptoes like a lion does. And what's beautiful to me is that if you read Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of Judah has won the victory. That's what we hold on to in suffering. It's what we hold on every day, but especially in suffering. So we, we aren't used to being under time. We've, we've finished our content. We're a little bit amazed at ourselves. Um, I think we were so um, conscious of the amount of content that we had to get in that we, um, uh, we wanted to be on point. So um, what questions or comments do you have? You know, we, we want to be impassioned in front of you. Um, you know, we're not trying to give you another sermon. Uh, you know, you can get one of those today. But rather, we're just trying to um, share with you from our perspective that parenting is hard, but there's a bigger view. And um, so what questions or comments do you have, if any, uh, about this material? Any thought that comes to your mind? 
we feel like we've given you a lot of kind of tactical things. We wanted to kind of take you back to something strategic and navigational. Yeah. So uh, being a, a guy myself and down the journey of time and reflecting back in my interactions with my parents and things that went well, things that didn't, all those things, you come to this point where you become kind of candidly honest with your parents about things in the past because now you've distanced yourself, right? So I guess the question is, now that your oldest boys are beginning to enter into those years, what things are they enlightening you guys to about their journey? Things that they felt uh, found were profound? Maybe things that they laugh at because they thought they were just ridiculous? Are you guys beginning to get glimpses of that now that they're in their mid to young 20s? I'll let y'all go first. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. no, I mean, that's, those are, that, it's actually been really interesting, and we've shared some of that in some of the the earlier classes because baby, our oldest, is now an adult. So she, we've had these conversations of like, well, dad, here's what you did that was really stupid, or here's some stuff that you did that was really was helpful, you know, and even that thing, I just was reminded about, you know, running in. In, in, in the in the pride, so to speak, you know, we were always trying to surround her with with people, with resources, you know, whether it was youth ministry or other small group type stuff or whatever. And she said that was, you know, one of the most helpful things um, for her, but also, you know, given her uh, a good basis of a foundational understanding about why these things are happening or how or whatever, so that even though she may or not understand it then or didn't believe it at the at the moment, sometimes. But as she reflected back, then she could see the truth that we were trying to speak into her lives, and then it made sense to her as you know that she could hold on. Those were two of the things that, you know, I know that she that she has said. I mean, then then we still uh, argue about whether it was <laughs> some of the things that she went back and said that was what was it just recently she said that was that she disagreed with um, something about a boy. I'm sure. Uh, I ran off a few guys. I'm sure that was bad, but uh, you know, one guy was—he was 18 or 19 years old, and she was 15, and he came over to see her or something, and and I was out actually vacuuming the pool for some reason. I was hiding behind the tree because when I knew he was coming out, I was gonna, hey, did you understand that my daughter's only 15 years old, and why would a 19-year-old need to be going out with a 15-year-old? And I'm kind of worried about that sort of thing, and I really don't think you should ever come back here again. I said whatever, and he never showed up again. And so, I mean, those, I get in trouble for those sorts of things. But you know, you know, she she would still disagree with probably how I handled a lot of the guy things. But that's just what we did. But I did. I don't, I don't know. That's just how I would answer for now. Yeah, it's interesting because um, sometimes you really don't know, Rusty, what things are memorable and meaningful and have impact. I've shown you guys before, and you know, it's very emotional for me. It, because it's so, uh, you know, uh, because we don't love, it, it's okay if you have one. We, our family, we don't love body art and piercings. We, uh, we on males. Uh, we don't love it, okay? It's okay if you have one, but we don't love it on our children. And so that Ben would have you know, task tattooed on his left peck, I'm proud of you. Um, you know, I'm just, I don't know anything. But because, well, I'm just saying, I, you know, I don't know anything about parenting, but 
that's the phrase I consistently say to them when I tuck them in bed, no matter what has happened, is that I'm proud of, of them and that he would have in my handwriting on his body, which I disagree with, uh, <laughs> I'm proud of you. You know, the other thing though is he wrote in a note to, to uh, me once that I always try to explain the why and confront, you know, with a punishment or a reprimand. He wrote in the note, even when you didn't need to, as though that were valuable. Uh, that was a rare occasion where we got a note from a son. And then I think the other thing we would tell you, and Catherine has been much more gifted with this than I have, is just the thought of pick any tradition and create a tradition within your home. And so for us, that's the birthday banners, it's the man party, it, 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 it is something that all of them can kind of cling to and look back to that, hey, you know, no matter what's happening, I know that this is what happens at this time. And in our world of change, those things are meaningful. So those are the three things I would say. I don't know. If I, I would also say, I think we're just getting to that point, you know, oldest is 23, so. But some of it comes out with younger brothers. So you see somebody start dating in high school and the oldest one can say, I'm just gonna tell you the high school relationships, you know, just don't put that much, you know, I learned the hard way. Don't try to do long distance. Don't try, you, mom told, tried to tell me, <laughs> you know, that I would go to college and there would be, wow, look at all these girls, you know. But just, it comes out sometimes, it's interesting to, you know, to see Ben coaching Jake or Will coaching Hank, you know, and things that we said and we thought, they didn't listen to us. Oh, oh they were listening. Wow. And you just, you just be quiet and listen and the, just go. The, the one more thing, you know, as we were preparing these, that right beside that photo of Catherine and the, and the four boys at the wedding, um, I have a photograph of... Uh, Will and his groomsmen, and this is just very telling, let's just kind of keep this between us, but all of Will's groomsmen were from college, except for his brothers. In other words, he didn't pick any of his covenant groups from Otter Creek, okay? But we have a photograph of them organically praying over Will before the wedding. So the story there is we, we were fortunate enough to choose a Christian environment for Will that was Samford, and I think we implanted with them at OCYG and just the, our consistency of having life group in our home that community is really important. Now Ben, by contrast, is very close still to his OCYG covenant group, although his friend group has expanded. And now that Jake is, you know, at this transition program in Asheville, we're we're pushing, we're trying to weave it into the folks that are there coaching him. Jake, if you can just get out and find a church and find a connection point of a community that's separate from the people you're going to school with, that's really powerful. And so I don't know if we've been successful at that, Rusty, but I think that's a priority we've placed on it is this idea of the pride, the community. Somebody else had a comment or question? I think had one yeah. um, back to the suffering. Yeah. And you know, allowing your kids to suffer. But what if one sibling is causing the suffering of their other sibling? You know, where do you play? What role of advice do you give them? 
I'll, I'll uh, we quote. Know nothing about I'll, I'll quote Jeff <laughs> off of Survivor. I got nothing for you. Um, you know, I think that the, the, that's where you've got to do some, um, uh, you know, some real um, on your knees praying. Mm -hmm. We uh, we didn't realize the impact, the negative impact that Jake was having on Hank. And again, I'm I'm just trusting you guys will be. Uh, confidential with that information uh, we didn't realize that when Jake and I got into arguments and both of us are big guys and our voices are raised that it scared Hank and so you know that's weighty so um, I think that you gotta you know um, you gotta play them in you, you gotta be individualized in your dialogue with them and um, you know really understand what each of them is going through and the impact um, and and we've realized that we've had to be very intentional to create opportunities for Hank to have space away from Jake and that can be hard sometimes because a lot of times the child that may be creating the conflict may not get invited to a lot of things and be but they do get to the point where they can get a job and they're gone to work or there, there are there's some in, be intentional during those times to say, hey, hey, you know, Jake's working. Why don't you invite a bunch of friends over and have a sleepover on that night because Jake won't be here. And that provides an environment because it, it could get embarrassing to Hank if Jake had a if we ended up arguing with Jake or something happened when his Hank's friends were over. So we were just having to be very intentional about creating that space and I, and I will say that was one of the biggest blessings with Jake this fall being gone for three months is we did a lot of stuff with Hank and it was healing for him and it, it, everybody's in and when Jake came home last week for five days Hank you know at the end we said how was it Hank was like it was so good to see you know to have a good relationship with him and to have that so because it, it hasn't been like that the, the other punctuation I would put on that is that, uh, you know, the, the counselor we were working with at Jake's program in Costa Rica, you know, we learned as much about ourselves as we did about Jake. That's kind of the point of this class is, you know, this isn't intended to necessarily help you fix your kids, but to help you start with fixing yourself. And, you know, she had us write impact letters to Jake. Uh, uh, very scathing, transparent, open, now again, in a controlled environment, but about the impact that Jake was having on us. But she also asked that specifically Ben and Hank write impact letters too. And what she found was it was very difficult for a child or adolescent to truly be as forthcoming and as direct as a parent could be. But I think the, the thing we learned there was a sense of honesty with the child that's causing the problem to say, look, this is the impact you're having on your sibling. So we're, we're out of time. I do want to ask you a heads up for next week. So next week, we're going to do something that we feel like it would be meaningful in the class. But I want to give you a heads up so you'll be prepared for it. We're going to pass out index cards. And we would like, and you don't have to name your child. But we would like for you to share with us things that we can be praying for specifically about your children. 
And I would just ask that you be as specific and forthcoming as possible and just allow us to pray for your children uh, next week, okay? So we'll pass out the index card, but there's the heads up for those of you who like a heads up. There it is. Okay, thanks for being here today.